Good morning, or good afternoon, wherever you may be, however you are listening. This is Peter Martin, president of Goslin Martin Associates. This is the High Reliability Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we have a little bit different show for you today. We had a um, we had a great session planned that we unfortunately had to cancel because of schedules. If you work in healthcare facilities management, you know that your schedule can turn on a dime, and that happened today. So we are rescheduling that podcast, which I'm actually looking forward to. Hopefully, it comes out in two weeks. Um, So you're stuck with me today, and today's podcast will be a little bit briefer uh, than many of the recent. So if you want to hang up or if you want to click off, do so now. I just want to touch on a couple of things today um, relative to uh, organizational culture, And relative to resumes, I know we talk about that a lot. And I also wanted to um, let you know, if you're listening, we have um, a lot of new jobs that have appeared in the past two weeks, um, which I want to mention down in Miami at the University of Miami Health System. We have a vice president, real estate, design, and construction. And then out in Columbus, Ohio, With Mount Carmel, we have a regional director of facilities and support services. So both of those are new opportunities since the last time we came to you in high reliability. Uh, We also have a director of EOC at the University of Cincinnati Health. We have a great opportunity in Madison, Indiana for King's Daughters Health for a director of FM. Paramus, New Jersey, uh, a director of facilities management at Newbridge Health and down In Randallstown, Maryland, which is outside Baltimore, we have a director of facilities um, within the lifespan within the Life Bridge Health System, excuse me, and then down along the shore of Rhode Island, where I am originally from, South County Health, down in Wakefield, which is close to Narragansett, if you know the area, we have a manager role. So there's a lot going on, and uh, if you want to check any of those out, you can go to our Goslin Associates website. And click on jobs. And if you want to reach out to me, feel free. Peter at Gosselin-Associates.com. So that's the job stuff. If you are old enough to remember, if you grew up in the Northeast, uh, if you watched professional wrestling when you were a kid, and I guess I'm going back to the 70s, not the new stuff, the 70s and the 80s, every Saturday it would be on and you'd watch it through the snow on your TV because you had a you had a uh, antenna up on the top of your house, but they'd always go through these locations and they'd say wrestling in Paramus, wrestling in Miami, wrestling in Madison. And that's kind of what I felt like as I read those jobs to you. But there are a lot of good jobs and the career, uh, the career path in healthcare facilities management is probably better than what it would be in wrestling, unfortunately, for some of those wrestlers. So anyways, I also wanted to let you know about, and this is the genesis of today's podcast, um, on May 20th, we are uh, giving a free webinar. Um, we try to do one a month. Uh, we have a couple of different sessions, but this particular one is called the Healthcare Facility Professionals Toolbox. That's on May 20th, 12, a.m., 12 p.m. Eastern Time. You can go to our website on the blogs and news, and there's a link that will take you to a, a sign up for that. So that's been really well received. We enjoy doing them in, in addition to the recruiting, um, you know, the education component, the consulting component is fun and it's enjoyable. And so if you are interested in that class, you can sign up for it. It's free. It's an hour. And I just want to talk about a couple of items that are in that class. I just want to talk about them today. Um, but I want to start with 
organizations first. I think, as I've said a number of times on this podcast, really what I enjoy about what we do is the opportunity to talk to people. You know, we um, were blessed in that regard to just have so many contacts and talk with so many candidates, whether, you know, and they'll call us whether we're working with them on a job we have or a job in general. And I heard a story yesterday, and it was from a candidate. And as usual, all names remain out, all systems remain out. It's, I could tell you it's not a job that we're working on, but it, it was it was an interesting story he told me, and I'm wondering how many of you um, have had a similar situation. One of the things that we're asked when we're recruiting with a uh, with one of our clients is, should my team interview the prospective job candidate? So let's say you're going for a director role, director of FM. Should the team that you will be managing interview you? And I've always been torn on that. And I think I fall, um, I don't think it's a bad thing to have the team interview. I think it can be potentially a good thing, but I think it depends who you pick. And I always tell clients that you want to make sure that if your team is interviewing a prospective candidate, do they, do those team members have agendas do you trust those team members? Are they balanced? Do they have access to grind? Or are they overly, you know, going the other way, are they overly positive of folks? And I think that the team composition matters. And so that's my advice to, to clients when they ask that question. I don't think there's anything wrong, especially these days. We work in such a collaborative environment, but you really need to make sure that the folks who are interviewing a prospective director come at it from a good place and not from a place of either sabotaging or just, you know, going for maybe they'd like another candidate over this one. So you just want to trust their motivations. And the reason I bring that up, um, you know, I was listening to a story yesterday and I have a friend, uh, a guy I've worked with before, and he was interviewing for a role. It was a director role at a hospital. And he interviewed really well with uh, C-level leadership in that hospital. And C-level leadership said to him, you know, we'd like you to interview with a couple of our staff members in the facilities department. And so they set those interviews up. Needless to say, the questions they asked this gentleman, and he's a straight shooter, um, like most directors who have been in the role for a while, they're very honest. And if you ask them a question, they're going to give you their their opinion. But, and the, so he was asked a couple of questions surrounding some compliance issues and some construction issues. And he gave his opinion. And the questions, as he recounted them to me, almost seemed a little bit leading. And the answers he gave were not the answers that the two people who were interviewing him wanted. Subsequently, they, he was removed from consideration. And when you talk to the CEO afterwards, because the CEO's feedback had been really positive, and when you talk to the CEO afterwards, the CEO said, you know, maybe it wasn't best for me to have those folks interview you. And so I just bring that as a cautionary tale. I think if, if um, your team interviews can be really good, but you need to control them. And control can be a bad word sometimes, but, you know, control, not control the people, but who's there. Make sure... 
you know, make sure that you know motivations before you put people in. The organizational dynamics these days, and, and I talked a little bit about this in our um, new newscast that we do, the News in Five off of our YouTube channel, but the organizational dynamics these days are really interesting with how, um, with, with interactions and all. I mean, all organizations are really trying to move quickly these days. They're trying to trying to fill their opportunities as quickly as they can. Um, and so it's really a, a fascinating time. So we move on from the organizational dynamics. And we talk a little bit about that in our healthcare facility, uh, healthcare facility professionals toolbox. But that leads me to, um, you know, you as a job seeker or even you as a, as a director. And we talk a lot about culture. When we work with candidates, whether it's on a job we're recruiting for or it's just a, um, you know, somebody calling in for advice, what do you think I should do? We always talk about the culture of that hospital. And if you're considering a move, you have to think about the culture of the hospital you are going to. Years ago, Jack and I were doing a job uh, out in the Midwest and the hospital president told us, and I use this line all the time because I really liked it. It's not an original line to me. But he said to us, if you have seen one hospital, you have seen one hospital. So if you've heard us say that before, my apologies, but it's really true, right? Every hospital has a unique culture and you need to consider that culture before you go to that hospital. You cannot change culture. You either need to fit in and fitting in doesn't, I'm not saying that in a bad way. You either need to fit in or it's not going to work. And some of the things, you know, culturally to think about are profit versus not-for-profit, you know, having worked in both not-for-profit uh, is very different than the for-profit model. In healthcare facilities, sometimes it's hard to marry the two. Um, so there are folks, you know, in the for-profit, it's bottom line, right? You might have a CFO who has never worked in a hospital before, has never worked in healthcare, and they're only concerned with the bottom line. So they don't care that your boiler needs replacing or your air handler's going down on the roof. Um, it's a bottom line air. It's a bottom line equation for them. You know, size of hospital is always an important one. I know that in my mind, uh, when when we do a recruitment, as I said, we know a lot of folks, and I always form an image in my mind what we would be looking for. Who, what person really fits in that? You know, and and that depends on what the hospital is. Are you a critical access hospital out in North Dakota, in the Dakotas, and there's not a there's not a Home Depot or a Lowe's or a hardware store within miles. You know, that's an important consideration to make, not only for, you know, how do you manage when you need critical equipment, but also your family. So is it a critical access hospital? Is it an academic medical center? Academic medical centers can be very different animals. It can be very collaborative. Some academic medical centers have hard times making decisions, not all, this is why you go through the interview process, right? Why you interview them as they're interviewing you. Because academic medical centers with researchers can bring a whole host of different issues into the equation. Are you a level one trauma center? You know, is that the hospital? Are you a community hospital? I know, you know, there are folks that we work with and they'll tell me, Pete, I only want a community-based hospital. Four, 500,000 square feet, 250,000 square feet. I want to be visible. You know, in a community hospital, you might wear many hats, but you also have opportunities to be visible. In a one million plus hospital, you might not be as visible. You might just be a number. So 
is, you know, the size of the hospital area community. Children's hospitals are very different. We've been fortunate enough to work with a couple of great children's um, hospitals and you walk into a children's hospital and the vibe is completely different um, than others. Right now we're doing, you know, we're working with Franciscan Children's Hospital right here in the Boston area. Um, And that's a critical mission. So all of these hospitals, you know, as you're thinking about where do I want to work, you uh, people always say I work in hospitals. I'm a healthcare facility director. But even within that, there's many variations. You know, we just completed a role for Moffitt Cancer Center down in um, Tampa, Florida. And when you walk into Moffitt, you can feel it. Both of my parents unfortunately passed away from cancer, and cancer, probably like many of you who are listening, um, is very personal for you. And you feel that at Moffitt Cancer Center. So, uh, you know, as you think your career path and as you're, you know, debating where do you want to go, size of hospital matters and hospital, um, you know, the mission of the hospital matters, the location of the hospital, you know, paycheck, we talk about paychecks a lot. Everybody wants more money, right? Nobody, I've never heard anybody who come to me and say, Pete, I want to take less. But what's interesting, what we are hearing these days and they don't verbalize that they want to take less, but in reality, they are saying, I want to take less. We are seeing people who've become directors who now want to move back. Maybe they want to be a manager. They don't want to be that director anymore. So that, you know, that's an interesting trend within the last couple of years where folks are, you know, they've reached a point and they just don't want the responsibility like they had before. So they're willing to take that step back because they want to remain in healthcare. So the paycheck does become familiar, but the culture, right? The culture doesn't. So always consider the culture. And we talk about that a lot. You know, when we are in a hospital, when you walk into a hospital, and maybe your hospital is one of these, or maybe it's not, there are some we go to, and every employee in that place, maybe not every, that might be an over over exaggeration, but people will walk through, they'll say hello. They'll say, can I help you? There are other hospitals where they don't. And you really notice that. We were working um, at a hospital. And talk about a contrast, right? So Jack and I were waiting outside. It was probably 5 o'clock. It was after hours. And we were going to meet with somebody in the hospital. And we were standing uh, outside the door in a hallway. It was kind of in an admin section. It was off the beaten path of the hospital where patients would roll. But there were a number of employees walking through. We must have stood out there because the gentleman was late, which isn't a problem. We always expect that. But we were probably out there for 20 minutes, 15 minutes. Not one employee stopped. And I'm not complaining. I'm just comparing. Not one employee said, hey, can I help you? you know, we, we, wearing suit, we look like consultants, unfortunately, suit, tie, uh, laptop bag. But nobody stopped and said, can I help you? Now, there are other hospitals where that would never happen. One's not better than the other, but they are different. And these are the considerations you make. When we go to hospitals, you can see differences right away. You can feel them. They're tangible. What kind of a culture do you want? Some people thrive in that. Others don't. I would say the, um, you know, as you consider culture, you know, one other story that I remember hearing years ago, a person was interviewing and they were shown, so they go to the hospital. They were shown to a conference room. They sit in the conference room waiting for the interviewers to come through. And there were a whole bunch of interviews that were lined up. A couple of them were late. And then another time, the person was sitting in the conference room. 
and they were kicked out of the conference room because a meeting had to come in. So they were removed from the conference room. They kind of sat out outside that conference room. And when the, when the meeting was over, they moved back in. Needless to say, um, the person didn't have a good view of the organization because we always need to remember they are interviewing us just like we are interviewing them. And, um, you know, those little things matter. Um, those little perceptions matter. So I think it's, you know, it's very interesting. And with it being such a competitive market, little things like culture do matter. Now, there are lots of lateral options in healthcare facilities management. I'm sure you all know this, but if you've worked as a director, or as a manager in a hospital, you have lots of career options open to you, right? Let's say that you're worn down. I guess I would say the first thing is don't leave healthcare facilities management because there's lots of opportunity, right? But you've also been through a lot for the last year relative to COVID and everything else that's going on with um, availability of talent and increased responsibility. But again, you know, we do the, you know, we do our class, we do the facility director's toolbox and, you know, pharmaceuticals, education, long-term living, senior living, OPM market, the owner's project manager market, the consulting market. You know, those are all options for people who are considering different careers. Maybe they're worn out by healthcare facilities management. So there are lots of lateral options that you can consider. Um, I think coming back into healthcare facilities management, you know, we'll get calls from somebody and maybe they've gone to an academic environment. And having worked both in an academic environment relative to construction project management and in a healthcare market relative to project management, there's a huge difference. Those of you who have worked in both, you know it. Um, some healthcare folks, healthcare professionals will transfer, not transfer, that's a bad word, will we'll, we'll go laterally and they'll move into, say, it's a college or maybe it's a private school and there'll be a facility director there. They might be a little bit worn out. Uh, the pace is extremely different. The passion is different. Um, and I just bring that up to say that you know, we'll get those calls where people want to come back to healthcare facilities management. The nice thing is it is easier to start in healthcare facilities management, go to another field, go to another discipline, and then come back in. It's harder to go from, say, even senior living or long-term care, even if your joint commission, um, uh, even if you're, the joint uh, surveys you, it, it can be increasingly, it's just difficult to come back in. So there are lots of lateral options up there. We're seeing more and more people take those. Uh, relative to, you know, careers, uh, Bill Parcells, the football coach from way back now, I guess, uh, the eighties is way back, but anyways, he coached the New York giants, uh, and then he coached the new England Patriots and then he coached the Dallas Cowboys and he jumped around for a coach. He would get uptight and he'd move. I mean, he left the Patriots after four years, um, he wasn't happy. So anyways, but Parcells has a great quote. And he says, sometimes it's the same problems when you go to a different place, but they have a disguise on them. And I really like, like that quote. Sometimes it's the same problems when you go to a different place, but they have a disguise on them. And that's really true. You know, if you think about it, um, the grass isn't always greener, but when you're considering the grass in which you're operating on, um, or before you make that jump, think of all those things. Think of the culture, consider the culture where you are and consider the culture that you are going to. So a brief blurb on 
culture. And let's just, uh, this is, let's go to resumes. Um, again, this is content that we cover in our education classes, all free, but I just wanted to touch on them. the resume is still to me. And if you've taken the class, you've heard me say, I, you know, I love resumes. Um, I love talking about them. We see lots of them probably like you. I hated doing mine. I did not like it. I still do not like it. If I never had to do it again, I'd be happy about that. But I like giving opinions on other people's resume. Uh, it's it's interesting. And we do. We see a lot is, you know, I think if if you paid us, if you pay Jack and I um, a, a, a gratuity or a, or a, a, yeah, a fee for every time we said to somebody, we're not resume experts, but we see a lot of them. And I think that's how we describe ourselves. You know, you can go to folks and you can pay for a resume and, you know, they might give you pretty colors and a bunch of stuff with that. But, um, you know, we don't, but I think we just look at it simply and we have opinions. You can always get different opinions on resumes too, right? You go to Google, you put in a resume, you'll get thousands and thousands of difference. So our perspective is based on what we do. It's based on the resumes we see and it's based on, you know, dealing with HR departments because when we do do a recruitment, we're passing resumes to them. And so we hear their feedback as well. So I think we have a pretty good basis as to what works and what doesn't work. You know, how does HR look at your resume? You know, so transitioning, a little bit of resume insight. I think the first thing always to keep in mind, and this statistic is from a couple of years ago, so it might even be uh, outdated now, but most re- most uh, human resources departments spend 16, 17 seconds on your resume. They might not even send that, spend that anymore because it's so busy out there. Um, and just as every other department in the hospital is short-staffed, so is in human resources. So I think you need to, as you're developing your resume, keep that key statistic in your mind, right? If they're only spending 15 seconds, that means you need to really be hard-hitting and impactful. One of the pieces of advice I always give that we always give um, is to create a professional profile and create that professional profile right on page one, right underneath your name and right underneath your address. That's the most valuable real estate on your resume. And so that's why where you want your most impactful information. You don't want to hide it. You need to make everything easy for the interviewer. And you know, you see professional summaries. People call them different things. I just call it a professional profile. It's just easier. And what the professional profile is, is four, five, four to six bullets that list your professional accomplishments. And they're very quantifiable and you use numbers and you're very specific. The litmus test on your profile is to always ask yourself, and you could use this throughout your resume, um, could somebody else write this and it be accurate to them? And if somebody else could write it and it's accurate to them, then you probably haven't been specific enough. Resumes do take time. And as you create your professional profile right at the very top, if you're in healthcare facilities management, you probably want to have achievements. And think of it, you know, you hear achievement-based resume, right? Accomplishment-based resume. That's kind of what your professional profile is. Success around the different areas that are important to facilities management, right? So if you're going for an FM role, you probably want to you know, have some operational successes. You probably want to have some joint commission success, maybe some energy savings because that's very important. Planning, design, construction. Uh, 
teamwork. And when I say teamwork, lots of people say they're good motivators, lead the team, I'm an excellent leader, et cetera, et cetera. But how does that translate? Does that translate it to um, better better patient scores? Um, so how does that success as a leader translate? So in the profile, four to six, very specific accomplishments unique to the role that you were going for. When I was talking to one of uh, my uh, colleagues who's in human resources, she was telling me, you know, Pete, and I see this too, you know, people, they might be going for a role, say, as an FM director, but their resume is tailored to planning, design, and construction. So, you know, as I said, start with two things, I guess. I'm going to add to that. I said, start with the fact that, you know, HR is not going to spend a lot of time on your resume, probably, unless you grab them. And then number two, you're going for a specific role, right? You're applying to a specific role. Make sure your resume is tailored to that. If you're a healthcare facility management professional, maybe you have one resume with FM and one resume with PDC, planning, design, construction. You can intermingle them, but if you're going for a PM job or a director or even the VP role for real estate design construction, you need to make sure those accomplishments are what is asked for in that job description. So in your professional profile, be very specific, but also tailor it to what they're looking for. Um, you know, form, quantifying is just so important. Numbers are important. Success is important. We'll see a lot, uh, summary of qualifications, People write servant leader. Uh, um, I'm just trying to think of all, you know, leader, servant leader, time management, all those kind of things, those words that you you hear, and I'm not really thinking quickly on my feet, but um, get rid of them, right? Because anybody can write that facility operational experience, uh, facility ex- operational expertise, uh, compliance expert, et cetera, et cetera. Those are empty words. And so, I always tell people, get rid of that, create that professional profile. Because again, if somebody else can write it, then how are you separating yourself from the pack? So, you know, be, be, uh, make sure you quantify formatting. You know, I'm not a formatting expert. I'm not an art person. I'm not any of that stuff. But I do know often we'll see people who just aren't consistent with their formatting. And so you just want to make sure it's consistent. I don't care what it is. Um, but make sure it's the same. That's the stuff that people, that HR will pick up on. Even if it's a font or a size or bullets and numbers, just make sure your formatting's consistent, whatever it is. The other thing too, you know, relative to that is you just want to make sure that you get some white space in there. Um, we hear, you know, you don't want to go more than two pages, right? We have always heard that. Um, I think if your content's good, then you know you can go a little bit over. I know, you know, in the planning, design, construction world, when we're working with folks who have um, who have that as their predominant experience, a lot of uh, PDC people will do their resume, and then they'll have a page that they call addendum where they'll list their projects. So you know, two pages isn't bad. We work with some folks who try to get everything on one page, and they might have a fifteen-year career, but they try to get it on one page, but they get that at the expense of there's no white space. So just be pragmatic. Look at it. You know, two pages is good. We'll see resumes. You know, some people go five, six. They go really long. That's too long. If you have three pages, if it's good content and it speaks to what they're looking for, then that's okay. But you do want to make sure there's white space, right? 
you've seen this before, I'm sure. Like you look at things, you look at a resume or you look at writing on a paper. Maybe you're reading a book and it's one of those old books where they got short, you know, small font. Your eyes get tired. And if if your resume makes somebody's eyes get tired, that's not a good thing. So make sure you ensure some white space. We see, you know, some common resume questions that we hear. And again, that we get to in our class, you know, how many years back do I go? Um, I think, you know, 15 to 20 is fine. You do not need, let's say that you started your career in 1980. You don't need to go back to 1980. You know, if you change jobs in 1997, 1996, and now we're in 2021, go back to 96, but 15 to 20 years is good. It does not need to be exhaustive. You do not need to put everything on there. What do I include? And do I include personal details? Um, We'll see folks who do put personal details on there. I don't care what people do. I really don't. In fact, I kind of enjoy seeing that. If you're a gardener, you um, remember the NRA, you, you're active in your church, you raise your grandchildren, you like to bike ride, you like to exercise, any of that stuff. I honestly do not care. I kind of enjoy it, but I wouldn't put it on a resume, especially these days, right? If the whole goal of the resume if you think of it this way, HR wants to disqualify you, and I don't blame them because they get lots of people, so they're looking for reasons to disqualify. You don't want to provide any reason at all for somebody to disqualify you. And we all know these days there are some hot social button issues, so I would just get rid of that personal detail. There is no need for it. It doesn't help you get the job, and you know that's what you can always ask yourself. Does this detail help me get the job? So I would... Um, I would get rid of that. Um, you know, you, you just want to keep it to your job, your role. And one of the other common mistakes that we see is people will just regurgitate their job description. So they'll take their job description and they'll put it onto the resume. You don't want to do that. Um, you need to make unique because the job description, if you think about it, it really tells you what they're looking for. It doesn't tell me if I'm reading your res- resume what you did. Um, so you want to watch out for that. A couple other things as we wrap up this quick uh, this quick podcast, which has actually gone longer than I thought. Um, you know, some of the things that make make me go hmm that you look at it as a resume spelling errors. I'll be honest, I'm guilty of spelling errors. Right? We will send something out, and I use Grammarly now. Um, I try to use that because it's. You know, when you look at something all the time, um, you know, Jack will proof, I'll proof, but your eyes play tricks. So I use Grammarly. Even using Grammarly, I still make mistakes, and it still drives me crazy when I see a misspelled word. Um, I'm guilty of it. But when I see it on a resume from somebody else, uh, you know, it, it stands out. And I try to tell them if they send it to me, I'll actually shoot them an email and say, hey, you spelled this wrong, just so that you can correct it. Because it is, your eyes do play tricks. Um, just regurgitating jobs, you know, just sending back a profile to me. You see that a lot, you know, no no specificity. Um, And the other would be colors and flash. You know, we'll see colorful resumes, a lot of flash. They might make it look like a newspaper column. You know, a resume is to convey information. It doesn't need to be colorful. It doesn't need to be flashy. Many times that takes away from what you're trying to convey. You know, if you're an interior designer or if you're in fashion, colors and flash, absolutely. I'm sure there's a uh, 
I'm sure there's a need for it, or I'm sure that there's a place for it. But in the world of healthcare facilities management, I don't think the colors and flash really help keep it consistent. So those are just a couple of thoughts. And as I said, I wanted to, you know, send this out um, relative to a promo for our free class on May 20th. These are some of the things that we cover in there. That's a 45 minute class. So it moves much more quickly than this, but um, hopefully back in two weeks with the uh, the next podcast with a group of folks on it. So I appreciate you listening. Uh, this is Peter Martin from Goslin Martin Associates. This is the High Reliability Podcast. If you're interested in any of our jobs, feel free to reach out to me. Thank you and have a great day.